Well, good morning. It's good to have everybody here. So we are kind of wrapping up a four-part series, and I don't know if anybody remembers, we talked about the way things were, right, to the way things are, the way things can be, to the way things will be, right? And we're on that last one, the, th- the way things will be. I was uh, thinking about this this morning. Um, I don't know what your experience was like, but when I, when I was in high school, I went to high school to play sports, not to do academics. I did academics to stay in sports. I mean, I, I'm not, and I'm not, ju- any young people here, it's totally wrong. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you what I did, okay? I'm just telling you what I did. And, and I would often have coaches talking to me and say, now, Doug, now, now, you know, basketball and soccer, these, these are really important things. However, however, there's more important things out there in life, and we can learn lessons and all those kinds of things, and this is good, but it's not the end game. Okay. Yeah, 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 coach. Okay. Well, it didn't take me long to learn that, that everything that coach said was correct. And I was thinking about that in light of the whole series that we've been doing on marriage and family. And, and you would think that we, we would come to this week, this day, and what I would say is the most important thing on earth that you can do, as I'm speaking about a series on marriage and family, is to focus on the family. Right? Like, go out, and that's the end game. And what I want you to realize today is, it's not the end game. In light of the way things will be, that brings all kinds of perspective on how we actually live in light of our families and marriages today. And I'll tell you what you're going to find. In light of that... It gives hope to everybody sitting in here. Because maybe you're sitting here going like, I'm single. Or I'm single again. And I don't plan to get married again. So this whole series on family and marriage is a little bit of a downer or whatever. And what I want you to know is, because of the way things will be, and the way that totally reconfigures how I live my life now, that gives hope to everybody. No, nobody is excluded when you look at it. And, and so I want to I say, in light of the way things will be, I want to say two basic things about marriage and family. And I don't, normally don't give the, them away up front, but I'm going to give them away up front, and then I'll go back and unpack them. The reason we shouldn't ultimately focus on marriage and family, even though, like, I'm a really big family marriage guy, Okay? It's because marriage is temporary, and marriage and family are secondary. That, that's, I'm going to say there's two things. And now, I'm going to go back and unpack them, make sure I'm understood, so you don't go, hey, think about it. You know, I, I want to unpack all that, okay? But, but, so stay with me as we talk about this, and here's what you're going to find. The best thing you can do for your marriage for your family, for your singleness, for whatever, wherever you find yourself status-wise, the best thing you can do is not to focus ultimately on those things. It's best for those things 
to focus on something else. Marriage is temporary, both for the individual and for the institution. So I'm, I'm going to do so. I, I like to normally just take one passage, work through it, pray, and be done. This, one, this is a little bit trickier. So I'm going to be going over a couple passages, all right? So stay with me. Uh, the first passage we're going to be looking at is Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, if you want to turn over there, uh, we'll be looking at verses, um, oh boy, basically 27 to 35, but I'm just looking at a couple verses there. But, but so, so marriage and family are temporary. Let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, oh, so you can get out of them whatever you want. No, no, no. What I mean is they are time bound. I love my wife. She's sitting second row up here, my best friend. But according to Romans 7, 2 and 3, and 1 Corinthians 7, 39, if I died this week, Sherry is free. Now, she tells me she would never do it. I'm just saying. Sherry would be free to marry. Yeah, but didn't you make a commitment? Mm-hmm. For a lifetime. And I just died. I mean, not really. I'm just illustration, okay? But, but do you see? So for the individual, our marriage is temp. I, I, we're going to live until one of us dies, but it's temporary when you think of eternity. Do you see that? Luke chapter 20, not just individually, but, but the institution. Jesus is having this debate with, with, with the uh, Sadducees. Remember when he's in the temple and all these groups want to kind of tag team and try to get at Jesus. Like, hey, I got one. What about render, C- uh, like, what about the thing about, do, do, do you pay taxes to Caesar or to the temple? Like, Come up with that one, Jesus, and Jesus, like, nails them, just nails them. So every time they come at him, he just nails them. And the Sadducees, they got one. Because the Sadducees didn't believe in any life after death. So they thought they had him. So they said, hey, I got a question for you. So there's this um, woman, and she married this guy, and he died. No kids. And we all know in the Jewish custom, there's leverate marriage, which means his brother should marry her, have a child, so it continues the name of the first brother. So, second brother dies. Third brother dies. I don't know about you, but if I was like the fourth or fifth brother, I may be thinking like, I don't know about this one. But anyway, anyway, it goes goes all the way through, and they say um, the third, in the same way, all seven brothers die, leaving no children. Finally, the woman dies also, verse 33, Luke 20. And now they got them. They are, they, they're just loving this one. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had her as a wife. For a short period of time, anyway. And they're thinking like, we got them. Just watch this. And Jesus looks back to them and says, you have no idea what you're talking about. For, you don't know the word of God, which he's going to go on to say, where, where you already find the resurrection listed in the Old Testament, which, which you say you believe in, but he's going to get to that too. But the, the part that ties closely to us that I want to talk about, Jesus says this, this verse 34, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage 
But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, and, and, and you will never be worthy on your own. You will only find your worthiness because you know Jesus, right? Okay, so it's all bound up in salvation in him alone. Um, are considered worthy to attain to that age in the resurrection from dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, for neither can they die anymore, for they are like angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. I mean, I don't know how to tell you this, but there will be no marriage in heaven. Because one of the purposes of marriage, there's several, is to procreate because what happens is people die, so you procreate so you can keep the human race going on. But guess what? Guess what happens in heaven? Nobody what? Nobody dies. So you don't need to procreate anymore. Do you see? And the other thing is, you're like angels. Angels don't marry, and they don't procreate. And so Jesus says, you Sadducees are fools when you come up with a question like that, because the whole institution of marriage gets swallowed up by eternity. My uh, father is with the Lord now, um, but he had two wives. He married, and my, my mom died back in 1990, and then he remarried about a year later, and, and his second wife, a wonderful woman, is still alive. And we sometimes had sat around and kind of joked together, and Dad said, so, so who do you think I'll sit beside in heaven? <laughs> and when I read a passage like this, it doesn't matter. Now, I have to tell you, at one level, that takes me back a little bit. Because I can't imagine just walking by Sherry in heaven going, hey, Sherry, how you doing? And kind of keep white on walking. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the worship service or whatever. I mean, you know, whatever I'm doing. You know, like, you know, hey, you, you too, Doug. And we just kind of go on. You know, I'm walking over here with somebody else, you know. And, 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 but, but, folks, all I can tell you is this. We will be so lost in the reality of being the bride of Christ. Shuri and I are part of the bride of Christ, and so are you if you know Christ. We will be totally enamored and given over to that relationship, and everybody there will be my brother and sister in Christ, and we'll never bicker or gripe or complain or anything. We'll, like, be perfect. Can you? I mean, that's a miracle. Like, we'll be perfect. Yeah. I used to always worry when I was a kid after I became a Christian. I mean, and I didn't share this with anybody. Because you know how as a kid sometimes you think this stuff. I bet nobody else is thinking this. And finally, I asked my parents one day. I said, what happens when I get to heaven and I sin? Because like, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to, but I'm sure it's going to happen. And my, my mom said, honey, you'll be fine. Oh, okay, thanks. You know, how your parents kind of do those kinds of things with you. But, but do you see what I'm saying? Luke 20 tells us that marriage gets swept up in something much bigger. And so on this earth, the end game is not my marriage and my family. The most important relationship on earth is not with Sherry. You say, you, you said a couple weeks ago it was. Wait a second. What I said a couple weeks ago was the most important human relationship on earth is with Sherry. But it's not the most important relationship. Because marriage is temporary. It will get swallowed up by something much bigger.
Thus, and you have, again, I, I put in, your, in the, in the, um, fly, the, the bulletin, all these notes are in there, so if you want to look at them later, you kind of got them. Thus, we should see all of life in light of eternity. I want, I want to read a passage to you. It, it's, one of, it's one of those powerful passages when it comes to this whole issue of singleness and marriage and all those kinds of issues. It's 1 Corinthians 7. It's a great text. Great passage. But I want to just look at verses 29 to 31 with you. And, 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 and it, it's fascinating to me. Listen how Paul is saying, don't allow anything on this earth to ever become the end game. It's always got to be about Christ, the Father, and his glory. So look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 29. Paul speaks here and he says, But I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as, as, as if they had none. What well, does not strike you as strange? In a chapter where he talks about husband and wife giving themselves in every way imaginable to one another, where he talks about the importance of caring for one another, he says, let, Can I paraphrase? So from now on, Doug Finkbeiner, who is married to Sherry Finkbeiner, should live as if he had none. I mean, does that take you back? Or is it just me? They're like, really? Well, let's, let's, let's keep reading. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as, as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Is he telling us we should no longer cry? We should no longer buy things? We should no longer be married? We should... Is that what he's saying? No. What he's saying is... You can no longer treat that as the end game. You will continue to do it. It's part of the stewardship that I've given you. It's a gift that I've given you. But it can never be the end game. All of life must be lived in light of eternity. So the most important human relationship on earth is my relationship with Sherry. But that's not the most important relationship. My most important relationship is with God. And that reconfigures everything. Do not treat that as the end game. You know the verse where the Bible says, what will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Can I paraphrase that? What will a profit a man or a woman if they have a good family but lose their own soul. I know, I know people that don't know Jesus Christ who have good families. They're close. They're meaningful. I like them. But that's not the end game. It can't be the end game. So you, you, you live them to, for, for God, as a steward of God. You, you, you appreciate them as gifts. You are enriched by them. But it's never the final thing. There's always more. Remember when we talked about Ephesians 5? One of the things we said in Ephesians 5 
where it talks about the husband-wife relationship is, it wasn't like Paul was sitting around going, you know, husband-wife relationship, love her, she submits, they love each other, really good stuff. I, I kind of needed a, a picture of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of like Jesus in the church. That's not how he's reasoning. It's the flip-flop. The ultimate reality that matters more than anything else on earth is Christ and his church. That's the ultimate reality. And my marriage with Sherry is to be an object lesson of that. We are the sign pointing to the ultimate reality. And when we get to eternity, we all get swept up into that ultimate reality. And the picture is no longer necessary. A couple years ago, I was over in um, Israel. Uh, Tim, 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 Ruth, and I went to Israel together. My goodness, how long has that been? 80s. So wait, 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 wait back. And I made, I made the major flaw of my life. I didn't take my wife. And when I did a solo. Anyway, that was a mistake. If I ever go back, she goes with me. But anyway, that, that's a whole other touchy issue. But anyway, um, <laughs> which we won't get into right now. Okay, but we worked it through. Okay. But you know what? And, and, and young people, this is before there were cell phones. Okay, so I had a picture of my wife. Man, I'd look at that each night. I'd pick her up. Can't wait to see her. And it wasn't like I could call her and talk on the phone because back then, you know, it costs a lot of money. So for like four weeks, I don't get a chance to talk to her. Look at that picture, man. She's beautiful. And I cannot wait till I see her. Wow, 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 wow. Right? And when I, I was a young man. Okay. And so, so, so when I got home and Sherry was there, do you think I just kept looking at that picture? Hey, honey. Wow, man. Wow, 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 wow. No. The picture, man, it's gone. The reality is there, right? We are the picture of the reality. Do you see? And he says, I want you to live your life. It doesn't mean you don't value family. You do value family. You do love your mate. You must care for them. It is a stewardship God has given you. But you can never treat that as the end game. There was something bigger in its God and his glory. So, because marriage is temporal, temporary, focus on the eternal. Something else I want to say about marriage and family, I've kind of already said it, but I'll, I'll say it a little bit different angle. Not only is marriage and family temporary, it must always be secondary. And, and to help us unpack this, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And again, when you hear these words of Jesus Christ, it has to set you back. Because they're very, very, very strong words. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. And I just want to make, make, highlight a couple points in here um, be, before we move on. Because here's where I want to go. I wanna, I'm going to kind of talk you through this stuff. And where I, where I want to end at the, very, at the very end of this is I want to make a talk about ramifications for those that are currently married, ramifications for those who are single. And I would also like to talk about ramifications for those who are what we would call are in mixed marriages, okay? And what I mean by mixed is your mate 
you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Your mate doesn't. So are there ramifications? And I, what you'll find is, as you work through this, there's ramifications for all of us. Okay? All right. Anyway, Luke chapter 14. Marriage and family must be secondary. It can never be primary. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew, I'm sorry, in Luke 14, verse 25. Now, great multitudes were going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, now listen to this, hear this. I mean, it's going to be, when, it, when I read it, it's going to go like, Whoa! it's just going to like whack you. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, oh yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Does that whack you? Go like, Jesus. Are you saying if I come to faith in Christ, I've got to look at my parents and say, I hate you. Hey, brother, I can't stand. It's not the point. I mean, sometimes when we read the word hate, we kind of think of this kind of visceral, emotional feeling. But in the parallel passage in Matthew, and, and when, we, when you look up the word hate elsewhere in the Old Testament, what it means is reject. It's not so much an emotional, visceral feeling that I have. What it means is it's a statement that if God in his word says, I want you to do this, and somebody close to me, my family member, my mate, um, a friend says, hey, Doug, let's do this instead. You must always reject and go with God. Amen. Do you see? Yep. So if anyone's going to be my disciple, because the end game is Christ. The end game is following him. The end game is that he is primary, central the sensory focus of my entire life. That's the end game. And so all of these other gifts and stewardships that God gives me, and they're important, and we don't minimize them, must be viewed in light of what is primary. Marriage and family is temporary. Marriage and family is secondary. Christ must be primary. And he's, he's going to go on and talk about, he's going to give a series of parables to, to unpack exactly what he's, what he's saying. And, and, and basically what he, what he goes on to say in the passage as it develops is this. Look, you can only live out God's design for your life if at the very center and core of your life is Christ. If you live any other way, it will prove to be a disaster. When you live that way, you are living out God's design for you. And, and so that's the appeal of Luke chapter 14. That's what he wants for each one of us. I've said this before, but I'll, I think it's, it's worth saying again. The best thing I can do for my wife, the best thing I can do for my kids is to love God more than I love my wife and kids. Does that sound almost strange? I mean, on the surface. Sandy, Sandy, Sandy gets it. But I mean, on the surface, Sandy, work with me here a little bit, okay? Yeah, you know, uh, so, but on the surface, you know, you go like, really? Y really? Because if he 
is central and primary and most important, it will, and then I know him, I am then in a position where I can influence them in the way he wants them to be influenced for his glory. Right? But if I live for them, I'm teaching them that he's not central. And everybody loses, folks. Everybody. And this passage is this, this call back. Now, again, a guy by the name of Butler, I have to explain this one because sometimes when I share it, people, I share it, then people are more confused after I share it. So it's probably a lousy illustration, but here it goes. John Bettler makes this really interesting statement. He made it years ago. He said, when leaving means staying. And what he meant by that was this. In the language of Luke 14, we have to leave every other relationship and Christ needs to be what's central, right? And what Bettler was arguing here is when leaving all those other relationships and making Christ central means staying in that relationship which you'd like to bail on. Do you see that? When leaving, making Christ central over a, 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 a other relationship puts me in a position where I can go back into that relationship and stay and work with it. Do you see the difference? If Christ is central then I don't have to get my full significance and all my security from my wife. I can get it from him. And if I get it from him, it allows me to move back to her. I'm free to go back and love her because I'm not always taken from her. Do you see? When leaving means staying. Did that make sense? Okay, all right, good. Sometimes it doesn't, so... I. But, but I thought that, to me, that was, that was it's a really, really fun way to talk about it. Don't hear me saying marriage is unimportant. You don't hear me saying that, do you? When Paul talks about the marriage relationship in the pastoral epistles, he uses an interesting word. He talks about being a, a husband of one woman, or we could say a one-woman man. And I tell people, I'm a one-woman man. I'm a Sherry man. That's what I am. And then in 1 Timothy 5, he talks about women, and he says they should be one men, one, a one-man woman. So Sherry is a, a Doug woman. Does that kind of make sense? What that means is when Christ is central, it doesn't mean I just look at my wife and say, like, whatever. It allows me to move back toward her in a way that I can give to her because it's all about saying, you are a one-woman man. You take temptations and sexual temptations and allurements and all those kind of things. You push them out because you know me. You go back and you be a one-woman man. And ladies, you be a one-man woman. That's how it's supposed to work. So nothing gets minimized in marriage. Can you see? It actually has meaning and purpose in a way that it would not have it if it was the end game. So I'm in no way depreciating the family. I think at the end of the day, what you'll find out, it will really bless the family. Even in 1 Corinthians 7, when Paul talks to mates, Christian mates, who are married to mates who don't know Christ as their Savior. 
What he says is, stay in that relationship. Yeah, you say, well, what, doesn't he say, though, at some point the person might actually, yeah, yeah, fair enough, and you, you can't force people. You can't force people to twist their arms and say, uncle, you can't. But while they are with you, God wants to use you to have a sanctifying impact on their life. And so, so if Christ is central, you can move into a relationship where you can't share with your mate the most intimate things in your life, which are spiritual, but you can still minister to them for the cause of Christ. Do you see? So when we do this, it gives all of us perspective. There's, there's no wiggle room. We all get included. In um, Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 30, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, I know for some of you, when you come to me, it will ultimately be the unraveling of family relationships. Some of you will have mates that will leave you. Some of you will have parents that will leave you. Some of you will have children who will leave you. But Jesus says, if I am primary, I will give you other family relationships. It's called the body of Christ. And within this body, I want you to begin to experience some of those meaningful relationships that I want for you. Because I know what you're losing. Not because you want to, because they don't want you. That's going to happen. And Jesus says, if you keep me primary, it will make a difference in all of your relationships. So as we recognize the supremacy of Christ, we find out that he richly blesses us. All right, let me just make three ramifications and I'm done. So, why should I, in a, in a series on marriage and family, why should I not ultimately focus on marriage and family? Because marriage and family is temporary, and marriage and family can only ever be secondary. Christ is the ultimate primary focus, and eternity is that from which I should view everything. So, what are the ramifications? If you are married today, if you live as if Christ is what's most important, as if eternity is most important, you will be the best mate, parent, and child that you could possibly be. Do you realize that? Because you don't expect a mate to give you what only God can give you. You find that in him, which frees you to give to all of them. I can't tell you how many couples I've counseled through the years who are expecting of their mates what they should only have ever expected of God. Like perfection. And a whole host of other things. And security. And significance. And love. Just, just put them all on there. Put them all on there. Ultimately, that is to be what I find in him. 
supported by the body of Christ, who are my brothers and sisters. So I don't go back and have to burden my mate with, hey, can you do what only God can do? I'm like, come on. It's never meant to work that way. Will you commit to stay in your marriage no matter what? If the feelings dwindle, if your eye wanders, will you say, by God's grace, and it's got to be by his grace because you can't pull it off on your own. No! God, in my worship for you, I will fulfill this stewardship and enjoy this gift to your glory. That's the most, and I'll tell you what, if a husband and a wife both have that attitude, what you experience is a marriage made in heaven. Most couples elusively look for intimacy and they never find it. Because I want my wife to make I want to be more intimate. Come on, honey. It can't be. It's a byproduct. It's a consequence. But when I give myself to this person, to the glory of God, regardless, and she does the same, then you go like, holy mackerel. That's how it's supposed to work. Don't make the consequence or a byproduct the end game. Make his glory, and this is an opportunity to minister the end game. So perhaps you're in a mixed marriage. And, 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 and if you're here and you're saying, hey, I think I'm that guy on the other side. I, I think you're saying I'm not a Christian or whatever. Well, if you don't know Jesus, you're not a Christian. Yeah, I am saying that. Okay? And, and it doesn't make, we're no better than you. We just happen to be forgiven. And and if you submit to Jesus Christ and ask him to be your Lord and Savior, he will forgive you today and you come into the family of God. It's not about being better. It's about being forgiven. Do you see? But if you have somebody who knows Christ and somebody who doesn't know Christ, if Christ is central and marriage and family is is, is, is temporary, it changes everything, doesn't it? Because then you are freed, as 1 Corinthians 7 says, and as 1 Peter 3 says, you are freed to move back into that relationship, not slipping tracks under his pillows. That's not the point. You're free to move back into that relationship and live Christ before him as a mate where, the, where that other mate should be saying, What happened? It's the work of God. There is no other explanation. It's the work of God. And God will often use your testimony there to be the catalyst to bring that person to faith in Christ. It's no guarantee. But God will often do that. So your marriage becomes more of a mission field. That's true. But can you see if it's ultimately about him? It gives you purpose there, and it changes everything. If it's, no, I've got to have something with him or her right now. I've got to have, everything's elusive. You say, 
Think finer. You've been talking for four weeks about marriage and family, and I'm single. And I'm glad you're here. Because you are as important to this body as anybody that's married. You do know that. If you don't, you should know that. And what I love, go back and read 1 Corinthians 7. Start in verse 1 and read through the whole chapter. And you got to love what Paul says in that chapter. Does he permit singles to be married? Yes. And if there's sexual temptation, he like really says it's a really good thing to do. That's right. That's absolutely true. But all the way through, he says, don't think that you have to be. There, there, there are blessings to single, singlehood that married people don't have. And there's blessings to being married that single people don't have. And, and Paul will say a variety of things. He'll say, sometimes circumstances become so difficult, do you really want to place yourself in a situation like that? He has a passage in there where he talks about that. And you know what else he says? He says, if you get married, when Doug Finkbeiner got married, he made a commitment to Sherry. And he was bound to care for her and to love her and to be there for her for their entire life while they're married before, until one of them dies. And Paul says, you have to be caring for her. But if you're caring for her and you're caring for your kids, there's other things you can't do. And it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it different. Right? You should be doing that. Single person is often in a position where they can take risks and do some things out of their love for Christ that a married person can't. And so one is not good and bad. They're different. And both of them have benefits. And Paul says, you know, I'm single now. He probably was married at one point, and, and, and I, I'm assuming he, he, he's a widower. I don't know exactly, but... but but Paul chose never to remarry. Paul chose to stay single for the rest of his life. He saw benefits. And for him doing missions, he was thinking, I don't want to bring a woman with me into some of these situations and have her getting beat up. So he had all kinds of things going on there. But nonetheless, he took singleness and he said, do not treat singles as second-class individuals. Don't look at a single and say, so what's wrong with them? Why didn't they ever get married? Hmm. That's not our job. If, if they want to come and explore things with you, explore them. But our gut response should never be judgment. It should instead say, let's pray for God to use them in unique ways that he can use them, that he couldn't use them if they got married. Pray that way for them and see what God might do. And I know you say, yeah, what about, and all, there's all kind of whatabouts. I get it. All I'm saying is as a church, if marriage and family are temporary and are secondary, does it not give hope to the single? Their life is not secondary. Their life, if it's lived before God for his glory, is every bit as relevant and important as a guy with six kids. So, I want to give hope to everybody. 
If you know Christ as your Savior, it changes everything. Keep him central and primary. It will free you to move into all of your relationships in a different way. Focus centrally on what is primary and permanent, God and his glory in Jesus Christ. I leave you with one story. Tell us that John Wesley was um, visiting one of his wealthy lost friends. And Wesley had done some incredible things in the church, but wasn't a, a major wealthy guy. And this friend took him around his estate and showed him this and showed him that and showed him all the kinds of things. And he said, Wesley, this could have been yours. And Wesley said, perhaps, but there's more. In your marriages, in your family, remember that there's always more. Christ, eternity, the glory of God. Father, we thank you that you have orchestrated, you have designed marriage and family and singleness and the whole thing, Lord. You are over all of it. And wherever we find ourselves in whatever kind of relationship, Lord, help us to realize that you are primary And what you want is permanent. And may everything else be secondary. We rejoice, Lord, that you give us hope in any situation in which we find ourselves. If we know you as Lord and Savior. Father, will you do your good work in the lives of the people here today? I don't know exactly what that is. It may be a particular sin. It may be a temptation. It may be unforgiving spirit. It might be a whole host of things. I don't know. It may be expecting more of a mate that that we have a right to expect of them. I don't know. But would your spirit put his finger on that? Expose it so we might experience the joy and freedom of, of repentance and forgiveness. In Christ's name I pray, amen.